Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Sophie Gould and I help businesses connect with top tech freelance talent and today I will be your host. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here and Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So I'm joined by two incredible women in kind of the the Swedish tech scene, um, discussing some really, really interesting um, topics about kind of driving innovation and growth in, in scaling companies. And we've got some really good examples and really good um, case studies, let's say, of of two people who have been in this situation and have really, really given back and contributed to a lot of different scaling tech companies. So I've got some really good advice to share. So while we uh, get into the introductions, there will be people joining. So feel free to leave any comments, leave any questions in the actual comment section here. We will either get through them either at the end or if they come up in kind of some of the questions we've pre-planned, we'll incorporate the answers as well from from both Carolyn and, and Howie here. So let's go in with introductions. Um, Carolyn, you start us off, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and give us an overview of your background. Sure, hi everyone, I'm Carolyn. I, uh, work in, I'm working at Klarna uh, with our CTO, Menby. So I uh, my background is that I grew up here in Stockholm and I studied industrial engineering and management in Lund. And then in my career, I started out first as a management consultant, working both in the public sector and the tech sector. And then I went into a few years where I worked more with the app development, more from like the project management and business development side. And now I have been at Klarna for four years, um, worked with the engineering side of Klarna the entire time. And uh, yes, still love it here. And on uh, a more personal side, I have two small kids and a husband, and we mainly spend our time doing way too many activities elsewhere. <laughs> busy life, a busy life, but no, thank you for that. Um, and Howie, coming over to you for your introduction. Yes, thank you, Sophie. And uh, thank you, Caroline, for the nice introduction. And so my name is Javi. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm a tech leader, engineering leader who has had the pleasure of working with awesome companies like Spotify previously, where I got to dive more into um, software engineering, uh, specifically data and data engineering. For the past year, a bit over a year, I've been taking on a thrilling role as a senior engineering manager at Global Cars, uh, leading fantastic data engineering teams, where we are on a mission to transform the car industry with our data-driven approach. And uh, so that's a little bit about me. I'm based in Stockholm as well. I also have uh, a child, a son, uh, who's uh, 10 months old. 
and I'm looking forward to the summer. I mean, it kind of has started already. So yeah, it feels great. I mean, if you live in Stockholm, you know that uh, you always talk about the weather. And when the weather is nice, everything else is nice. Yeah. And thank you for having me here. Oh, no, thank you both. Um, and you're definitely right. I was in Stockholm this week and the weather was incredible and everybody just seems to be happier, in a better mood, loving life a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, it's one of the really great things with uh, with Sweden and summer. It's like we have this very, very long and dark winter, though I, I love snow. But like in the summer, one of the best things is that when it's good weather, everybody's outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to kind of really making up for it. You can see now why people do take the, the long times off over summer, kind of the making the most of it because the winter's been uh, very, very cold and dark. And it's like, a, let's get out. Let's, let's, let's enjoy it as much as we can. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining me. Um, on a personal level, before we kind of get into it, I spoke with both Carolyn and, and Javi before this on multiple times, and I think the the work you've done on a kind of professional level is outstanding, but also to then be running a family, having small children, it's really, really inspirational. So definitely excited to have you both on, and I think we'll have a really good conversation and, and share some knowledge now we'll start with kind of a more generic overview so we're talking about driving innovation driving growth in a in a company that's scaling but let's start kind of with a with a question on what does innovation mean to to each of you because i think that's a good place to start to then kind of adapt onto that um so javi i suppose if you go go with your kind of theory on what is innovation and what does it mean to you yeah um so innovation for me in the context of my work, um, which is like being mainly within software engineering and tech companies, is the exciting journey to solving problems in a new and creative way. So it's about uh, not shying away from challenges, but rather embracing them and having this mentality of like, you know, thinking outside of the box and paving like the way and the paths to a place and a future where obstacles and problems become opportunities that will lead to progress and learning and growth for the person. So that's like innovation for me in a nutshell. Yeah, I think I think that was a great summary. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like very, very similar that like not being afraid to challenge the way things are done. Like yeah. Like I always like to say that, like I love an environment where you have constant improvements, and that's also like what innovation is to me. Trying to like always improve what you're doing, look uh, look at what you're doing, challenge it, have like an iterative approach where you test and test, and then you know continue to being open to change and trying new things. Nice, yeah, I think that um, yeah, it really sums it up nicely. And I mean, anyone kind of joined who's joined us and listening, let us know in the comments what you will take what your take is on innovation if there's anything you would add to to the kind of descriptions there um but no I think brilliant brilliant overview and then thinking about both of your kind of journeys you both worked at really hyper growth companies um doing some amazing things and I suppose a, a real key question is how do you then manage to keep an innovative culture while growing at such a, a quick and rapid rate 
Um, Carolyn, you start us off with this with your experiences. Yeah, I think like it comes back to what I said before. Like for me, it's a lot about having continuous improvement. And like, I'm not going to lie, like it takes a lot of energy and stamina to like continue to drive this type of behavior and culture. But that's like what I really try to encourage is exactly that, like drive towards continuously improving what you're doing. And like, I will say that like, it is challenging, especially while growing at a rapid pace, like the company grows and you're trying to do better while you're still onboarding. And it's, uh, but for, from my perspective, it's like, how, how, how do you manage to keep this culture? I try to see it as like lead by example, because then it creates this like ripple effect. If I try to remember, remind myself of this and, you know, try to always strive to improve things. Hopefully I can spread that message and, you know, give that to my employees as well. Mm. Yeah, nice. And and anything you would add, Javier, is there anything you've done differently or I imagine similarly? Yes, I echo everything Caroline said. She was uh, uh, having a really good point talking about um, continuous improvement. Uh, so it's like very related to having, you know, this growth mindset where you encourage employees um, to constantly improve, that it's not like, you know, a static uh, state where you have to be, but rather uh, you can always like build upon the skills and uh, the competence that you already have. So a lot like working a lot with this, uh, fostering this growth mindset uh, together with the people as leaders, and also, um, um, the other aspect of this is like, how do we ensure that we are, um, kind of streamlining the innovation while we're growing in, 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 uh, like in hyper growth, uh, companies, it's also to enable like open communication and cross-functional collaboration. Uh, we need to go from like, you know, working in silos into making sure that we have these open communication channels and not that everything is like locked into just teams, because that's when you can, uh, you know, collaborate with each other, share ideas and like use maybe or learn uh, from other teams or other parts of the organization what they have done. And that's also another like ripple effect into uh innovating and like moving fast in a company yeah so that's uh, that would be like one of the aspects that i would uh i would add to this um and also caroline you mentioned that lead by example like as leaders it's very important that you uh set the foundation that you promote this kind of uh, mentality and mindset and also actively be part uh of the innovation process uh leads them maybe innovation days or like be part of the hackathons or hack days participate in projects um give recognition to people so yeah i think your caroline summarizes really really well so i'm just like um adding like I, uh, yeah i respect it i i really think that i i agree so much with you with like being present like uh, you know we also have hackathons and demos and all these things and 
it's important for, for the seniors at the company to also attend and show that it's important because otherwise, like, people can do them, but if, if they don't get the appreciation and, like, just having, you know, someone from the management team drop in on a demo or a hackathon and, like, really see the importance and give their input, I think that's also, like, a great way to foster the culture. Yeah, nice. I think uh, there's a comment here from someone who's listening who says, leaders should model the behaviors they want to see in their employees, encourage leaders to take risks, be open to new ideas and embrace change. And I think, yeah, the kind of lead by example, the, the things you mentioned there really show it almost a start at the top, doesn't it? It's kind of like top down and, and this is how you do it. So I think a uh, really interesting comment. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great comment, but I, I do think as well, like, yeah, I think that's super important, but I think also that leaders can learn a lot from their employees as well. And you, we should also be open for that. And like, I really love when, you know, maybe, you know, as a more senior person come to a demo and you learn something from the team or, you know, something new. I think that's also something that I really appreciate. Yeah, kind of learning from, and like you said, it's the, it goes back to the continuous improvement thing, doesn't it? Constantly, constantly uh, improving. And I suppose it's a lot to balance. It's a lot to kind of take in and find the right balance. How do you balance the need for kind of innovation with also then the stability, the consistency while you are at a company that is scaling? Um, any any thoughts on that, Carolyn? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is hard. Like, yeah, I, I really love, you know, letting people be innovative and uh, and strive for new and uh, try new things and new technologies and all of that. It is difficult because at the same time, you need to keep things uh, stable. I mean, I work in a bank. Uh, obviously, we need to have a very stable and uh, uh, trustworthy and, you know, compliant product. Uh, and I think what I've learned over the past four years at Klarna is like, it, the answer for me has been to have a process of like stepping back once in a while and reflect like are we heading in the right direction are we doing the right things and not be afraid of like challenging all the things that you do because it's great to be innovative but sometimes you also need to like be like are we doing this because it's fun or are we doing this because it drives us to the end goal or why are we doing the things we're doing but i think that that has been my my um, solution to like balancing to just like maybe I do like once a, a month or once every other month or once a quarter, depending on the project you're working on, to be like, are we still going in the direction that we were going when we started? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other good ideas, Javi? Yeah, I think uh, you were into uh, really uh, something really important, uh, the direction that you're heading to. So it's really important to establish this clear vision and goals. So, you know, everyone is on the same page, like, where are we going? And everyone understands the importance of their, like, not, I, would, I wouldn't say end goal, but at least the targets, the vision that we are uh, building and striving towards going, uh, towards going towards that. Um, and also to, like, I wouldn't say, like, separate uh, the innovation and core operations, but maybe plan for it that you have time for both uh, focusing on the core operations and maintaining of what you have. Like as you said, Caroline, you you work in a bank. You need to make sure that your product 
your services are working and it's very like uh, sensitive, but you also need to keep up with the, you know, the demands, the new technologies that are uh, merging on the market. So you need to also be doing innovation. So uh, like a strategy that I usually see uh, work in the tech companies is you prioritize incremental innovations and you have a process for how to um, incorporate new innovations in your core operations, in your core like services today. Uh, so how can you do that uh, at the same time? Uh, one way is like to really allocate time, um, uh, resources, budgeting. Maybe you can do half days um, regularly on a monthly basis, uh, see like what is like the market, the technologies, uh, the technology trends going. Uh, and also like do um, a reality check, are we in line with our goals, with our strategies going forward and have like a process to incorporate these in, into your uh, daily uh, rhythms and daily work. Uh, work. Um, the other um, the other aspect which we also touch upon on this is actually fostering this uh, culture, fostering this learning culture, uh, and also um, fostering the culture of not uh, being afraid of taking some risks, of course, calculated risks here and there. Because if we are not allowing for that, it's going to be very difficult to uh, drive innovation, especially at this like huge scale. Yeah, so we should be competitive. Empowering as well. Exactly, to stay competitive, exactly. Like, so, so we need to encourage this like learning from failures and like taking some risks. And that, of course, uh, requires you to know your risks so you can have like uh, processes uh, to manage those risks and at the same time, cave some time and space to have these innovations and take those uncal like calculated risks on the side as well and incorporate them into your daily work. Well, um, I think we had a comment kind of um, someone asked what are the best ways of finding new innovations, but you did touch upon that there in terms of sounds like just having the time and setting the time and allowing yourself the time to, to find the new innovations. And like you said, the hack day. So hope that answers that question um, in the comments. But no, I think brilliant kind of overview on, on that one. Um, the question we thought about that we wanted to to incorporate next was more um, kind of when you're looking to foster this actual culture of innovation and the experimentation, how do leaders and managers actually kind of play a role in this? Um, and kind of any 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 examples of what's been successful as well. So Carolyn, if you kick us off with anything in terms of as a leader, how do you actually work in, in this setting to be able to culture this innovation and this experimentation? Yeah, I think I think one thing that uh, Harvey mentioned that I think is really important is this, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. And mm -hmm. something that I've seen in the past that has been very successful is people really sharing the learning from their mistakes. Because in if you want to foster a culture of experimentation, innovation, then you need to take risks. You mm -hmm. need to fail sometimes. You need to try stuff that might not succeed. Uh, and that's not always easy. It's a bit of an adaptation to get into that mindset and that culture. But I think 
you know, fostering the culture from a leadership perspective, I think it's really important that you do that yourself as well. You cannot encourage employees to take risks if you don't take risks. You can't encourage someone to learn from their mistakes if you don't share what you learned from your mistakes. So I think that has been like the the game changer uh, for me with like actually, I mean, it comes back to what you said, Harvey, like set up practices where you actually share this learning. You share that you yourself failed as well, and this is what you learned from it. That way you you kind of set the standard that it's okay to fail. And then one, one of my favorite managers that I uh, used to have, he kept on telling me like, please, like, you know, do stuff and ask for forgiveness. Like take a risk and ask for forgiveness rather than be cautious and ask for permission. And like, this has really like, it's a bit of a cliche, but it really stuck with me. And when this was like a very, very senior person who told me like, take a risk, I'm fine with if you, if it doesn't go well. And like, then you can tell me later and tell me what you learned rather than being very cautious. And like, this has really changed the way I approach things. And I hope that like, by leading by example, as we mentioned before, that can also like trickle down throughout the organization. Nice. And, and anything else from from you, Javi, on on this kind of the the wins and how to actually foster the culture as a leader? Yeah, I think we touched upon uh, really um, important aspects here. Um, the lead by example and also fostering a culture of like failure and learning from failures because that's really uh, important in driving the innovation. Uh, it, it could be like, you know, killing the innovation if you just set up a project and you fail and then you just don't dare to do anything and you don't even like um, do like post-mortems and like um, get the insights from what did we learn? What can we apply next? How can we make this failure a success going forward? And mm. um, another aspect that I wanted to touch upon um which I see it like as uh, something that leaders can have an impact uh, is the diversity aspect. Like how can we ensure that uh, we foster a diverse culture as well, where we can have diverse ideas uh, coming in. Uh, and diversity, it could be like, you know, from different aspects, uh, could be in seniority level, it could be like uh, skills and competence, uh, yeah, you name it. It could be like, you know, culture uh, and cross like yeah, women uh, and the men or like, uh, yeah, other types of diversity. And that's really important because that's where innovation can like flourish and like ideas can come uh, and surface and come to the surface and you can like uh, use that to foster this culture of innovation as well. So that's something that I wanted to touch upon um, also like when it comes to uh, fostering the culture of innovation to to make sure that we have um, a good mix and a, a diverse teams and encourage like collaboration across uh, and, uh, yeah. those teams. And also like in the, maybe in the circumstance where you might not have a diverse team yourself, don't be afraid to bring people in like, I think I always love to think about that when you like do testing and user testing and things like that. Make sure that you test it with people of different diversity, different skill level, different 
you know, gender, culture, background, because people see things differently, right? So I think I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, I like that. Um, is there any kind of practical, like, um, almost like top tips or anything that you've seen that really, really works? So something you mentioned, Carolyn, that kind of sparked me to think of this was almost like sharing the failures, sharing that this hasn't worked, what do we do now? Is there anything in kind of practice that you've seen work well, whether it be kind of, okay, we're now going to do a full meeting, everybody's going to get together, we're going to now discuss this topic, or is it kind of on-the-go feedback as the project or as the kind of um, whatever it is you're working on is going through the through the phase? How do you actually, in practice, get everybody to start sharing that feedback and sharing the wins, sharing the failures? To, to either of you <laughs> and then i think one uh, typical agile practice uh, i'm sure uh, how we also use this is like the uh, retrospective so generally when you work at tech companies we have this this uh, agile practices where you do a sprint planning and then at the end of a sprint you do a retrospective and i think that can be applied across most companies to be honest and i think even non-tech companies should probably do retrospective now and then but then we do have a, a certain setting where the team comes together like after a finished sprint or a project or something, and then you do a retrospective. And we always uh, also do, as you said, post postmortems when you've had an incident, which is actually something that was maybe a big failure or a small failure, it can be both. Um, but having this, like, that the expectation is that you do retrospectives continuously and that you do, like, postmortems when there's been a big incident and... Um, so that's just, I think, the baseline. And then on top of that, of course, you can also do bigger things uh, where you bring in externals, you bring in, you know, your internal customers or even external customers to do similar practices. But like, I think just the baseline of having those agile practices in place, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Do you do anything different, Javi, on that? Anything more? Um. I think, yeah, I agree with Caroline. Like, I think you you mentioned that, like, having um, agile, iterative processes and, like, doing your retrospectives, gathering feedback, uh, getting those insights, but also creating, like, an environment where, uh, an open environment where everyone can share, you know, have the courage to share these failures and not, like, just keep them for themselves. Mm. Um, also... Um, recognition, you know, like uh, we should be rewarding um, people or employees that uh, share these failures and share their learnings because like that's very valuable and it needs to be rewarded and recognized. So just like adding um, an extra like uh, layer on that uh, with recognition and recognizing and also like uh, helps with this. Yeah, great. Yeah, nice. I like that. Really interesting. Um, and then keeping on the topic of kind of the retros, the kind of looking at what's gone well, what's not gone well. What do you do in situations where maybe a project has been unsuccessful um, or hasn't been as successful, let's say, um, because of course everything in a perfect world would be the top level of success, but we know in reality sometimes that isn't always the case. Um, so yeah, Javi, what do you do? How do you approach those projects where not being as successful as maybe you thought it was going to be? 
Yeah, I think uh, we touched uh, on most uh, things here. So we talked about like uh, promoting this uh, learning mindset, uh, having an open environment where everyone can share, uh, share their knowledge with other teams, learn from each other, um, have retrospects or postmortems, uh, encourage like honest feedback, um, and really dig into uh, why things didn't happen uh, the way that we expected. Um, and adjust our like, you know, uh, ways of working going forward or our strategies based on the insights that you extract from these uh, failures. I think one aspect, also going back to the recognition and um, showing appreciation for people who do this, who have the courage to do this, is to show support um to the people who like maybe draw the project and it failed to show like you know uh, uh support and understanding and most of the time especially like you know and um uh busy like companies or like uh, companies with like a lot of deliveries we tend to become very um result and outcome uh, result and output focused and we forget to um, show the support uh, for the people who actually put the effort into projects that did lead to uh, like tangible results. So, like you know, being empathetic and uh, uh, encouraging the people and showing the respect for the persistence and the resilience that they put into this. So, it's a little bit like a soft perspective on on this as well. Um, and yeah, like making sure you um, use these learnings uh, going forward, like you all the time con continuously and con uh, consistently like revisit your plans, revisit your strategies and adapt those uh, based on the learnings and the insights that you gathered from these failures. Very nice. And anything else, Carolyn, that you think you've seen happen? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the exact same thing, basically, like being, from a leadership perspective, like being supportive and not punish people if they make a mistake, I think. I mean, it sounds very uh, basic, but it's so important because it's so easy, as you said, when you're very focused on like timelines and deliveries, it's very easy to be like disappointed in a, if a project fails. But instead, like, it's again, like a bit of a cliche, but like really trying to see it as a learning opportunity for yourself and for for the team or or the person or anything to just like i actually say this quite a lot i'm sure my colleagues will will laugh when i say this but like i'm always like see it as a learning opportunity <laughs> uh, and uh like i truly believe in it so i'm really trying to like live my my practice and uh, i do that myself as well it could be like at work it could also be personally like i can even do you know when uh, i mean in full honesty i do get angry with my kids sometimes and then i'm like okay this was also a learning opportunity how can i avoid this going forward like yeah. and i i think that mindset really helps and just like being as you said how we uh, encouraging and supportive and you know try to help someone through it because it's always hard to feel. you always feel really bad even though you're supported yeah nice i think like the a lot of this kind of all connects together doesn't it whether it's kind of how to foster the culture how to kind of look and identify new things it's all the continuous improvement the really learning things and and 
just being a, a normal human and, and appreciating the team around you who are also in this. Um, and I mean, for anyone listening, if you've got any examples where you've had really good leadership who have supported you throughout a project that hasn't been accepted, that hasn't been as successful and there's any kind of specific examples you wish to share let us know in the comments so uh, we we can get some more feedback on that and we'll talk about now kind of given the journey that you two have been on we know that there's been some really hyper growth there's been some situations where you've had to identify new opportunities within companies that are kind of scaling rapidly how would you actually identify and then prioritize new growth opportunities as well as balancing all of the kind of usual day-to-day within a, a scaling tech company? Um, Carolyn, I think we'll go with you for this one. So more on the identification, how do you prioritize new growth? So, I mean, I can, I can read this or see this question from uh, both like a people perspective and then like a product perspective. So, but if you start off from like the product point of view, like personally, I love to be very data driven. Um, and I think like measuring what you're doing and prioritizing, you know, whatever gets, gives the biggest impact is something that I try to do, like put up really good KPIs and make sure you measure and you know how you measure a success. Like also something that I've really taken with me from my engineering background is like yeah, definition of done. So what does that mean? And like, are you ever done? That's also a good question, but like trying to measure continuously while you're working and there, hopefully you can identify like new growth opportunities for the product. And um, we, we touched upon it before to get this like new perspectives and try to stay up to date. Like at least someone in the team stays up to date to new technologies and the latest research and, and uh, what competitors are doing and staying up to date on all of this. And at the same time, measuring what you're doing. Like for me, I think that's key uh, to, especially to be able to not be afraid to close down things that are not going as you expected. Because, um, and then over my career, I've been in a couple of companies, especially when I was working as a consultant, where the companies just drive on with a product or a project, even though it's not going well. Um, and I think many, many companies and people are afraid of like, just accepting like no this was not the right investment let's just close that down and focus on something else because a lot of people get very attached to what they're working on but i mean i think that's maybe not like how you identify new growth opportunities but at least how you prioritize the right things i think it's important to just uh, it comes back to to the same things that we've been talking about like reflecting and uh, you know making conscious decisions on what you're doing I mean, I can also speak on the like people point of view, but let's uh, jump over to Harvey first. I think. <laughs> yes, before uh, jumping into the people uh, growth opportunities as well, I think you mentioned really something very interesting uh, here, Caroline, that I wanted to touch upon, which was, um, you know, when you see a project failing and it's not delivering and you have created this attachment. So there are two things here. One is like you admit to failure and a lot of companies, um, uh, they maybe it becomes like as a, a big challenge for them to okay admit that this was a failure. Okay, what do we do now? And also like very um, related to the um, as you uh, might know the uh, sunk cost fallacy. 
which makes like uh, a lot of like projects continue like uh, yeah. forever happen. Yeah, forever, even though you know that it's not delivering uh, a lot of value, uh, but you have invested so much money and you have invested so, so many people in this, this project that you you don't feel like you want to admit that this was a failure. So it's really important to admit, uh, okay, now we made a mistake. Let's see what we can do instead and like pivot and change our plans and adapt our plans. Um, going back to identifying um, uh, growth opportunities uh, for innovations, uh, you touched upon that as well. And me coming from like data and data engineering is like, you know, all about the data. Uh, so you need to have channels and ways of gathering this data. It could be like, um, and uh, like it can have like different forms. For example, if if you're a product company and you have a product, of course you you are very invested. You are very obsessed with your consumers, with your customers. You always need to get their uh, continuous feedback. So you make sure that you are building the right product for them and you can identify those pain points of your customers so you can adapt or even like maybe create a new product for your customers and that's how you keep uh, yourself competitive and you, you keep your customers happy. Um, and again, like uh, tied back to the topic that we're discussing, it's about fostering creativity, fostering innovation and making sure that we are uh, we know what's happening in the market, um, both from a technology perspective, but it could be like from, you know, regulation perspective. Now, going back to you, Caroline, that work in a bank, what are the regulations, what kind of opportunities they might create, what kind of constraints they might put and how we can work around that. So a lot that was a, that was a very optimistic point of view, saying that the regulations create opportunities. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you have to be optimistic. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. That's the right mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I try to be, uh, you know, looking at them half glass full. <laughs> yes, because if you need to, to, to do that in order to, like, uh, stay competitive and uh, uh, compete maybe with, uh, you know, those small, small startups that are coming and emerging like on, on a daily basis. Um, but also um, uh, conducting like a lot of like uh, research and making sure that you're collecting data. So I'm really like going back to this data and data driven and collecting data and driving insights from this data. You can have a lot of data, but you don't have the capability of driving uh, insights and really using data and insight to your benefit uh, to make yourself competitive. Um, and then like really having a plan and implementing that and making sure that you're revisiting this plan continuously so you're not like locking yourself in this project. Maybe this project after three months doesn't make sense to continue with. Okay, let's scratch it and yeah. see how we can uh, move forward. Yeah. But but it is it is so hard. Like I've been in this like uh, projects where you were very very emotionally attached, and like you really like the project, but you can see that it's not going that well. It's super difficult to shut it down, but uh, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I imagine as a leader, it's so hard to pull the plug when it's not just your time, it's the team's time, it's kind of the time spent planning, like you said. It's, uh, yeah, I can imagine it is a difficult decision to make. And then it can also be even more difficult because maybe you hired someone specifically for this project or for, for the, and then you're like, yeah, so now we need to find your something new because we're not going to continue this path. Like that happens. Like that's just a reality of staying, staying on your toes. Um, you know, very good client there. Um, I think, uh, that was, yeah, a very good point. And I see like a lot of companies, uh, uh have challenges with that like you know how do you foster this uh change that things are changing all the time mentality and they're not like yep. you know in a just box mm -hmm. uh which also puts a lot of pressure on like your hiring strategy uh like um how do you um market or how do you like uh define the role that you're hiring for or the roles that you're hiring for and what type of like uh challenges you're offering the people that you're hiring it, it's also inside it's extremely yeah. hard to it's also extremely hard to describe it's like you cannot describe this type of culture and like mindset you you have to try but it's really difficult for someone coming from maybe a more traditional background or uh, someone who has only done consulting or something like that it's very difficult to try to explain how like this uh, really change oriented company works. And I think that's something that like, you know, I've been practicing for four years, but I still, I still think it's difficult to describe and to really have people understand because you really want people to, you know, know what they sign up for uh, when you hire someone. Um, but it is uh, a bit difficult. Yeah. Is there anything more? I know you mentioned kind of the, the hiring the people there. Anything else on the people side of things when it comes to like the new growth opportunities, prioritizing that from a from a personnel, people, team perspective? Yeah, and so that's, I, I said that I could also like listen to this question too, like from a people point of view. And I think in this type of company, it's equally important to try to identify growth opportunities for people and of course, not everyone wants it, and then, of course, that's fine. But for the people that want a lot of change, and maybe that's the people that, you know, get to these types of companies, then um, I also want to, like, emphasize that you really shouldn't underestimate how valuable it is for someone to have been at several different parts of a company. And I think this is something that I kind of learned, not recently, but, like, over the last few years, that like having someone who has been in many different parts of the company, it's really, really valuable. Maybe like from many different perspectives, and it depends a bit on the role, but like just someone knowing different parts of the company, having different perspectives and, and things like that. So I'm very pro like always talking to, to my uh, managers that I manage, like what do you think your next step could be internally? Because I always like to have that mindset so that you can like help them direct their career towards their next step, even though it, it might be in one year, two year, five years. But I think you can do a lot of stuff on the way. And then I also really try to encourage people to stay and try different roles in the company because the type of people that we attract are very, very ambitious and they want to try a lot of different things. So I think there's many ways companies can foster that in-house rather than have them like transfer out to a different company to try something new.
Mm. I think that's also something that I really try to encourage. Yeah, nice. Is there anything you do, Javi, with your teams similarly or even on, on maybe a different path but within the people growth and the team of the the growth within the team? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, I, I, when I was like engineer back in the days, I loved this concept of like, you know, uh, being able to um, build on top of your skill sets by working in different teams with like different sets of problems to solve. Uh, I think it's very underestimated the learnings and the growth that you get uh, from that type of exchange. Um, now, me and Caroline, we have worked in a really hyper growth big tech companies where like, you know, a lot of things change all the time. There's nothing like set uh, in stone for like, I don't know, six months maybe tough. So that's six months, like maybe it's a good thing. I mean, that's, that's almost overestimating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's like surprising when you like um, hear or learn like that a lot of traditional companies that it's a new concept uh, for, for them. Like that's not ingrained in, in their culture. In uh, more traditional companies, it's like very, um, you know, stable. I wouldn't say static, but like the changes because the companies are maybe big and they have a lot of like processes and administration changes also slow. So it might take time for, th for things to change. And uh, I think this is one of the things that uh, companies can utilize to uh, for their own benefit and for their uh, to stay competitive is how do we ensure that we keep our talent engaged by creating opportunities for them to grow. And it could be like, you know, driving different projects or being in like uh, embedded for a short period of time in other teams. Because when they come back to your team, they're going to have like a fresh perspective. Yeah, uh, So really my my... I'm really a, like very pro change. Um, yeah, I love I love it when things change because that's when you learn um, and grow. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I think that that's great. Like we've also tried this different, like kind of like interning in different teams, and uh, I love that concept because even though it's maybe just for a few days or a few weeks, like I I 100% agree. You come back with another perspective and. You learn something that you might bring to your team, but also maybe you appreciate something that your team does that other teams don't do. So I think it's like a win-win. You learn a lot about something new and you get new perspectives and like you, yeah, you also have the opportunity to take those learnings and apply it to your own team. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously from kind of my perspective, evolution, we've provide a lot of freelancers to big hyper growth scaling tech companies um and what we actually hear quite a lot is that the opportunity to grow and learn is actually something that actually drives people to these companies because they want to even though they might be really senior within what they do whether it be tech data product whatever they do still want to learn and absorb knowledge and kind of consistently grow even if they are someone who's kind of really sought after and seen as like quite high and quite senior within their position so I think it is definitely um maybe yeah maybe not highlighted enough that 
growing and learning, you know, regardless of your position, is actually such a benefit for the team and for the individual as well. So no, I think that was really important to touch on, actually. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean, let, let's be honest, it also comes with its challenges. Uh, uh, but that's also, uh, you know, having the growth mindset and trying to, we're, we're all the professional problem solvers. Like, yeah, that's a part of the journey. But uh, just, you know, getting us down to earth, because now it sounds like it's all a melting. It has its challenges, as well, <laughs> but uh, we lean into them, right? Yeah, yeah, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> Both of you kind of giving you, well, yeah, I imagine, yeah, so many challenges. But like you said, part of the journey, part of the learns. Um, and I suppose that's why you do your jobs as well. You enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we're coming to towards the end of the hour, Matt. But we've got a couple of questions that I wanted to get from the comments and kind of explore them. So the first one um, was this one. So what is what in your experience is the minimum organizational structure required for effective innovation management um so i'm, I'm not sure whether um, i'm completely 100 percent, but maybe more talking about the kind of structure around the organization to allow for that innovation is there any kind of uh, thoughts any comments i mean given the companies you two have both worked at is there any things that have worked really well in terms of structure of the organization or likewise things that have maybe been not as successful or you've needed to change things with the organizational structure to be able to innovate effectively and, and really um drive the innovation and growth there so yeah any anyone i, I can I can give my take on this question. Very good uh, question, by the way. Um, I think what I've seen work is um, to ensure that you have teams that are focused on a set of problems or a product. Um, could be maybe multiple products, but maybe not like, you know, a lot of products where your attention is divided. And in the end, like you don't deliver anything of value. So a lot, of, a lot goes into this, creating this focus for the teams. Uh, what is their mission? What is, what is like their ways of working? And making sure that they know what the problem is that they need to solve. Once that organization or that team is set up, it's um, so much easier to, you know, drive these uh, innovation efforts and like foster this culture. But once a team is like swamped or like an organization is swamped with like different projects going on, like I don't know, 10 projects at the same time, you're probably going to put 10% of your attention if, if that's even possible in one of these projects. So you can imagine that the end result for each one of these projects is not going to be close to the goal or, or like the, the, like yeah, delivering the impact or the value that you intended to. So creating a small teams focused on like a set of problems, maybe one, two, max three problems, and also ensuring that they work with uh, very close to the business. So they understand the value that they are delivering and the impact that they're having on the business. So that would be like my take on this question. I don't know if you, Caroline, have a, a different perspective on it. Yeah, it was fun because I... When I saw the question, I wanted to be very bold and say, like, you don't need any organizational structure to be innovative. But then, like, when you said all of this, it made complete sense to me. And, like, I really agree with you that, like, the problem space focus, but also, like, clear ownership. 
and I think it goes hand in hand, but like without clear ownership, it's really hard to do innovation on a product or concept or project because then you might do overlaps, then it might be unclear who should own what and so on. So like, I think that spot on like clear ownership or problem space focus. But I think when you have that, good to go. Yeah, and also one thing that I wanted to add to that is something that also helps with innovations is the speed of making decisions. If you have the problem scoped and like clear for the teams, it's much easier for them to make those decisions. If it's, of course, within the context of that team and it's not like bigger. Uh, and that's like what you're calling, you know, bringing the decisions to be made locally rather than, you know, making them globally and then top down autonomous right? teams. Yeah, autonomous, but also like aligned autonomous. Teams. Yeah. So it's not uh, going to be like, you know, just people are running around in different directions. <laughs> yeah. Or like, should you need like, to go, if you need to go, it steps up the management turn to get a decision. Then once you get it back, like the innovation is passed. <laughs> yes. And that also one thing that you mentioned, Caroline, that, oh, there, there shouldn't be any organizational structure. I, I totally agree with you. I think maybe you meant that no hierarchy in this yeah. uh, setup. Uh, so the way that I see it, like with having uh, small teams and maybe small organizations is not to create hierarchy is more like what is, what works from a practical perspective, just to make, um, the decisions like, you know, come to smaller teams so they can be like more autonomous. And for that, maybe you need to have a structure, not necessarily, you know, like 10 layers of, uh, managers, but. Some, no. some sort of structure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Nice. No, definitely. I think um, there's been so many kind of really key takeaways from this conversation. Um, I'm going to ask anybody listening to let us know in the comments um, any of your key takeaways from this conversation, anything that's really stood out to you. Um, but while we do that, both both Javi and uh, Carolyn, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice for let's say a leader in your situation or someone facing the same challenges within hyper growth, driving innovation, creativity, anything to kind of wrap up the, the overall advice that you would give to them. Um, have you coming to you first on this one? Yeah, I, that's uh, yeah, very, a lot of advice. I mean, I, 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 maybe I take it from this perspective that I'm going to give advice to myself. Uh, what would be like an advice, like, you know, why is how we have right now would give maybe to how like a, uh, a couple of years back. Like it's, uh, be bold and be courageous and not be afraid of like taking risks, small risks here and there. Uh, I'm not saying that everything should be like, you know, take risks. There should be, of course, a balance there. And that's why I say like taking calculated risks. And it's not the end of the world if something like doesn't work or fail. Just see that as a learning opportunity. Yeah, nice. Definitely. And Carolyn, anything from, from your garden? Yeah, I wanted to say the same thing, like dare to make mistakes, share the learning. But also, like, if you're at this hyper-growth speed uh, situation, like, you can acknowledge that it's not going to be super easy. Um, but what I try to uh, live by is, like, 
try to, you know, iterate whatever you do. Try to uh, learn from what you do and don't be afraid to make changes. But I think something that we also like touched upon today and I think it's so important is to be open and humble and learn from each other. And uh, like in the end, we're all just people. So I think, yeah, <laughs> having that approach, I think is important as well. Yeah, that's so true. Everybody's just human, aren't you? <laughs> um, well, thank you both. I think some kind of really, really good bits of, of kind of knowledge sharing. I mean, for me, I was, I really like the whole freedom to fail, the diversity within thoughts. I know that was mentioned in the comments as well. Um, and yeah, the whole being open to feedback and creating that culture. There's been some really, really nice pieces of advice and also nice to share some of the the challenges and and what you do in in situations where maybe it doesn't go as right or as successful as you you think it's going to be before we end the podcast today i'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in the conversation if you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role yourself please feel free to get in touch with us here at evolution and likewise if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast please drop me a message too. I'm Sophie Gould and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at sophie.gould at evolution-nordics.com. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.